to the High Praises Church Podcast. We hope you are blessed by today's sermon. It's so good to be in church today. Hey, we were sitting in one of our yearly planning meetings the other day where we sit down as a staff and, and we try and think through um, all, all of the, the, the yearly planning for the very next year. And, and so we were looking in January, we've got like our 21st year anniversary or something like that. Like our church is over 20 years old and it's just hard to believe our 21st year anniversary is coming up because I have some memories um, of when our church actually first started. I was two years old when our church started. We actually started in T.L. Hannah High School right down the road. And I remember one particular Sunday, I was about three or four, old enough to remember it, and my family was running late to church that day. So you know how you do, you just run in the car and you, you pull up and, and you're just running out trying to sprint inside. And so my parents get out of the car and they're running inside. And my brother's old enough at this point, he can undo the seatbelt and he's running inside and they're trying to get in the door. And in the midst of all of the craziness, they forgot one important detail. And that important detail was me. And so I'm sitting there in my car seat like, uh, guys, y'all coming back? And then I immediately just start freaking out. Like, you know how you do Like when you're four, you're not smart enough to get out of the car seat. Like it's one button, but you're, you think, you know, you're in just a death trap or something. So I'm trying to get out of it, and I couldn't. And I thought, this is it. I'm going to die. It's been a good four years eating some good, you know, Cheerios. It's been wonderful. Peace out, world. But then I look over, and I see a few older women walking into Teohanna. I think, all right, this is it. This is my moment. I'm just going to beat on the window. They're going to hear me. They're going to set me free. So I start beating on the window, and I'm screaming and crying and doing everything that I can. You know what they do? They just kept on walking. They didn't even look over. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, you are not that old. Like, come on. Like, help me out here. And so then I just, you know, that's it. I'm dead. But then luckily, my Savior came. John Jenkins came walking by. Been to our church probably since the beginning. He starts walking by. And so I start banging on the window trying to get John's attention. And this time, he looks over and he sees me. And I think, yes, he is going to set me free. He walks right up to the car. He just bends down and goes, and walks right on into the church. And I'm like, are you serious? Like, come on, I'm crying. Like, four-year-old Evan doesn't realize he doesn't have the key to my car. Like, he can't get me out, but I don't know that. So he walks in, thankfully, finds my parents, taps them on the back, and says, hey, I think you are missing something important. And they turn around and realize that little Evie is not there. And they go running out, and they go get me. But, man, it is a terrible feeling to feel trapped. Like, it is a horrible feeling to feel like I'm stuck, I can't get out of here, there's nothing I can do. And it's an even worse feeling to feel trapped and forgotten. Like, I was forgotten by the most important people in my life. The people who were designated to take care of me just walked on in. It is a horrible, terrible feeling to feel trapped and forgotten. Now, I know that's a really goofy story, but I'm sure there are some of you who have walked into this room today. And whatever situation you're in, you feel like you are trapped and forgotten. You feel like you're stuck in this situation and there is no way out. Marriage started good the first year, the first 10 years, but it's been rocky lately. Been sleeping on the couch lately. 
You've done everything you know to do, and still it's not coming together. Nothing is working out. You've been sick for a while now. You've tried all the medicines and the surgeries and the doctor's visits and the bills are piling up, and yet it just seems to get worse and worse. The bitterness is still there from how they hurt you, what that father figure said to you, how that friend stabbed you in the back, what the ex-spouse said. And every day, it just feels like it's getting worse and worse. But on top of that, you feel forgotten by the one who's supposed to care about you the most. You feel like God has turned the other way. And you don't know why, and you don't know what's going on, and you're crying out like, Jesus, when are you going to save me from this? Hasn't this been enough already? And you're this close from just taking matters into your own hands, doing whatever you've got to do to ease this pain. But can I ask you a simple question? Is the God we serve, a God who leaves us in our deepest struggles and trials, or is he a God who sees? I'm willing to bet that he is a God who sees. Because you see, there are some people in the Bible who were going through a situation maybe just like you named Abram and Sarai. And so today we're going to look at Genesis chapter 16. Genesis chapter 16, Abram and Sarai. Here's what's going on. God has randomly shown up to Abram. He said, hey, Abram, here's what I want you to do. Abandon um, your family, your parents, your land, everywhere that you've lived your whole life and leave it and follow me. And amongst all of these other promises, he promises them, I'm going to give you a son. Now, Abram and Sarai were very, very old. They were past childbearing years already. So it was going to take an absolute miracle. So they uproot their family. They move to Canaan. And at this point, it's been 10 years, and there has still been no son, no child. And so eventually, Sarai, feeling like her back is against the wall, gets impatient. Feeling like she's trapped in this situation and like God has forgotten about her. Feels like it's time for me to take matters into my own hands. So here's what she does. Genesis chapter 16. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. She had an Egyptian maidservant whose name was Hagar. So Sarai said to Abram, See now, the Lord has restrained me from bearing children. Please go into my maid. Perhaps I shall obtain children by her. And Abram heeded the voice of Sarai, not the voice of God. Then Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, her maid, the Egyptian, and gave her to her husband Abram to be his wife, after Abram had dwelt 10 years in the land of Canaan. So he went into Hagar and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, her mistress became despised in her eyes. Then Sarai said to Abram, my wrong be upon you. I gave my maid into your embrace. And when she saw that she had conceived, I became despised in her eyes. The Lord judged between me and you. So Abram said to Sarai, indeed your maid is in your hand. Do to her as you please. And when Sarai dealt harshly with her, she fled from her presence. So here's what's going on. Sarah has been waiting 10 years now for this promised son, and there is still no son. And after waiting and waiting and waiting, she felt like there is no way out of this situation. 
God has forgotten about me. God's maybe the one doing this to me. This is never going to work out. It's over. And the only way I'm going to be able to get a son is to do this on my own. She's sick of waiting 10 years. She realizes she doesn't have that long left. The promise may never come. And it's been so long, and she's so tired. She's in so much pain. She's got so much bitterness. She just says, fine, God, I'll do it myself. But the problem is that when Hagar decided that out of her impatience, instead of waiting on the promises of God, she was going to fix her own situation. All chaos broke loose. So they took their, their servant, who's a slave woman named Hagar. She said, here's what you're going to do. Abram, you're going to marry her. You're going to impregnate her. She's going to conceive, and then that child is going to be my child. And can you imagine this poor little slave girl? She doesn't want to be there anyways, but now she's forced to marry a man who doesn't even really care about being married to her. She's nothing more than an object to accomplish Sarai's goal. She's going to be nine months pregnant with this child, and then it's going to be stripped away from her. She's going to be forever married to this man. Even if she gets free, no man would marry her anyways. She's no longer a virgin, and she's technically married. Her life is over. But not only that, then Hagar messes up. When she gets pregnant, she looks down on Sarai. She thinks she's something because she can get pregnant and her master can't. So she kind of starts yapping and giving her some looks and look at this, you know what I mean? Like she's kind of, you know, letting her know that she thinks she's something. Well, then Sarai gets angry, like almost out of her mind angry. So she walks up to Abram. I still don't understand that. She's just like, this is your fault. You need to fix it. God judged between you and me. God's on my side. You did this. And Abram's like, whoa, hold up. I was just listening to you. She's like, no, this is your fault. You're going to fix it. Like she is on like a new level of just angry out of her mind. And so she's just like angry. It's causing marital strife. It's causing all of these problems. Then Abram, tired of feeling the wrath of his wife, just like, all right, Sarah, you do your thing. Punish her. Do whatever you want. I don't care. Then out of her own bitterness and anger, Sarah punishes Hagar so bad so badly that Hagar feels like the only option she has is to run away, run back to Egypt, and hope she survives in the wilderness with this baby. And then now Sarai is left. Marital problems, slave girl's gone, her potential baby is gone. She acted out of impatience, and now her life is worse than before because she wouldn't wait on God. I remember a few years ago, we took a missions trip to Guatemala. And so we were there doing some work at an orphanage with um, some, of the, some of our youth. And I, I was a youth at the time. And so it was us and another youth group from Myrtle Beach. And while we were there, the groundskeeper came out and he was like, all right, here's what I want you to do. I'm going to give you some shovels. I want you to dig some holes in this particular area. I have no idea why we were digging holes. I can't even remember, but we were to dig holes. But he said, you need to be careful. There's a particular area which there are water pipes. And if you bust those water pipes, there will be no water for the entire orphanage. And so we're like, okay, sounds good. Let's get going. So we start digging. We start digging. And finally, I get to the general area 
that the water pipes are going to be in. But I'm not exactly sure where they are and how I'm supposed to go about this. So I have two options. I can stop the show. I can wait five to ten minutes for groundskeeper man to get over, probably give me a hard time. I should have listened the first time. Tell me where it is and then go on my way. Or I could be hot, tired, exhausted, ready to get this over with and just keep digging anyways. I chose option B. And so I just get after it. I start digging. And then eventually my shovel hits something hard. And I thought, oh, that's weird. And it wasn't long till water started coming up out of the ground. And I had busted the water pipe and shut off the water for the whole orphanage. Because I was impatient. And then immediately, everything just goes crazy. Water's coming up from the ground. On the inside, I'm going, I just killed hundreds of orphans. I'm an orphan killer. And then some kid from the other youth group decides that he wants to give me a piece of his mind. So he's like, come on, man. How could you do that? Oh, my gosh. I'm like, thank you. Yes, it's always been my dream to kill orphans. But you better watch it. I just killed some orphans. I will kill you, too. Keep talking. I will cut you. Like, I was just like, ah, it was horrible. And so he's giving me this hard time, and I feel like a terrible person. And thankfully, thankfully, the groundskeeper and whoever else came over there, they managed to repair the thing. They managed to repair the pipes. I didn't kill any orphans. They are still alive, thank God. But it was a scary situation. But if I would have just been patient, if I would have just waited, if I wouldn't have acted out of my own exhaustion, none of this ever would have happened. And if Sarai would have just waited and not acted out of her own impatience, none of that would have happened. And maybe you're in this room today and you feel just like Sarai, trapped, forgotten by God, backs against the wall, there's nothing I'm going to be able to do to get out of this. And you are this close from taking matters into your own hands because you are just tired of hurting. That medical problem is still there. It's been years. Doctor's visit after doctor's visit. You've tried every medicine, drug, surgery, therapy, whatever else there is, and there's still nothing. And you've cried out to God, and it feels like he isn't there. You've prayed at home. You've come down to the altar. You have, you've had elders lay their hands on you. You've been anointed with oil. I mean, you have just done the whole thing. You've screamed at God. You have done the whole thing, and it still feels like he is not there. And you are this close from just ditching this whole Christianity church thing because you've had enough been disappointed by too many doctors and surgeries and drugs. God, I'm tired of being disappointed by you. Maybe somebody hurt you a long time ago and you're sick of the pain and the bitterness. That ex-spouse beat you down so bad emotionally, you have yet to recover. That best friend hurt you so bad, you think of it every day and it just sits right here and you've prayed, and you've prayed, and you've prayed, and you've prayed, and nothing has happened. And you're like, God, where are you? If you don't heal my heart, I'll do what I got to do. I get around the people that make me feel good, but aren't good for me. I'll get on whatever drug or substance I need to numb the pain. I'll overeat. I'll do whatever I got to do to cope with this situation if you don't show up right now. 
are wondering where God is. But can I just tell you that acting out of your own struggle, pain, and impatience will never make it better. You can turn to that substance, that thing that makes you feel good, that thing that makes you cope, but it will never fix the situation. It will only numb the pain temporarily, and you will be left as empty and broken as you were before and actually worse. You can go through with that divorce, but it will not fix the problems that you're going through right now, and you will still wake up and feel that pain. You can ditch Jesus all you want, leave the church and get mad at God, but it will not heal your body and it will leave you with more questions than answers. And now you're trusting in a human and no longer trusting in the supreme being, God. When you act out of your own impatience, it only makes things worse. But if we're not to act out of our own impatience, what are we to do? We're to trust God. But why? Who is this God? Why is he worthy of trusting? See, God is about to reveal himself, but not to Sarai. God's about to reveal himself to Hagar. We began with one hurting woman in Sarai, but now we transition to a hurting woman in Hagar. So she's fled into the wilderness pregnant, trying to make it back to Egypt, maybe she'll have a life. And then God shows up and he says this in verse 7. Now the angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness, by the spring on the way to Shur. And he said, Hagar, Sarai's maid, where have you come from and where are you going? She said, I am fleeing from the presence of my mistress Sarai. The angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit yourself under her hand. Then the angel of the Lord said to her, I will multiply your descendants exceedingly so that they shall not be counted for multitude. And the angel of the Lord said to her, behold, you are with child and you shall bear a son. You shall call his name Ishmael because the Lord has heard your affliction. He shall be a wild man. His hand shall be against every man and every man's hand against him. And he shall dwell in the presence of all of his brethren. So here's what's going on. Hagar is running away. She thinks the only way to have a life, maybe even to preserve her life, is to run away and to make it back to Egypt. And as she's running away, God shows up to her. And it's like, what are you doing? She's like, I'm running away. It's like, all right, you, you need to stop. You need to go back to her, but I'm going to bless you. I'm going to have compassion on you. I'm going to help you. You're going to have a son named Ishmael, but he is going to turn into a great nation. So many descendants that he can't even be counted. I am going to bless you and take care of you. I'm there for you, Hagar. But to, <clears throat> excuse me, to really get the full picture of what's going on here, first we need to truly understand who Hagar is, and then God will reveal who he is. See, Hagar was an Egyptian slave girl, which in this context means that in society, she is the lowest of the low. First, she's a servant or a slave. She has limited rights already. She is just help. It was actually a normal practice in that day 
to impregnate a slave girl. That was just normal. But not only that, she's a foreign slave, which in Abram and Sarai's eyes makes her even lower because she didn't grow up where they grew up. They most likely picked her up on their travels on their way through Egypt. And then finally, she's a woman. And in those days, women were seen as second-class citizens. By all human eyes, by all human standards, this girl was a nobody. Not to be cared for, not to be cared about, property to be used and forgotten about someday. And here she is out in the wilderness. She's not even crying out to God. She's just sitting in the wilderness, crying tears. And that's when God shows up. Church, tears work just as good as prayers. Because he shows up to Hagar, who by all human standards is a nobody. And he promises blessings. He promises to take care of her. He promises to give her a son and a nation. Having a son was an honor for a woman in that day. That, was, that, that determined your dignity. That's why Sarai wanted a son so bad. He promised to bless this nobody by human standards, and she wasn't even looking out for him, wasn't even calling out for God, and yet he still showed up. And you know what she said? After all the blessings, and she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her, El Roy, you are El Roy, translated, you are the God who sees. Have I also here seen him who sees me? It's in the wilderness of a nobody, not calling out for God, just crying tears, that he sees her in her brokenness, and he shows up. And he tells her this, you are going to name your son Ishmael. Ishmael means God hears. Do you want to know who your God is? He is the God who sees and he is the God who hears. He is the God who sees you in your brokenness. He is the God who sees you in your pain. He is the God who has seen every tear that you have cried and he hears you. He's heard all of your prayers. He's heard all of your cries for help. He's listened when your emotions were so complex that you couldn't even produce words. He was there even listening to that. He is not a distant God or a far God. He doesn't care who you are in human eyes. He's a God who is close and, and there for the brokenhearted, and he sees and he listens to you. And no matter what brokenness and what struggle and what pain you're going through today, no matter how much you feel like you are trapped and you're forgotten and your back's against the wall, God is still there for you. He has not turned a blind eye. He hasn't turned away. He hasn't ignored your suffering, but he's right there in the midst of it. I remember several months ago, we were at one of our third Wednesday services, and 
I was personally going through some things at the time and I hadn't told anybody about it and I was just struggling with some things internally and I preached that night and I wrapped up and I dismissed everybody and I was just standing in the altar and kind of had my arms up against the stage and the band was still singing and right after that one of the members of the band knelt down and put their hand on my shoulder and began just speaking to me and praying over me and then at one point in that prayer it transitioned to a word from God which he said, I, I really feel like the Holy Spirit is telling me this. And he spoke exactly what I was going through. He spoke into that situation, letting me know, I'm here with you. I've seen you. I've got you where I want you. I've got you planted. I'm assisting you. Don't you worry. And I remember sitting down in my chair and just burying my face in my hands. I'm going, thank you, God that you see whatever you're going through today just hold on he sees don't give up he sees don't walk out on God he sees don't lose hope he sees in the midst of your wilderness God will show up he is always on time But I'm grateful for this, that God is not just a God who sees and hears, but he's a God who acts. God doesn't just make promises. He follows through on his promises. See, he promised Hagar this, you're going to have a son. His name is going to be Ishmael, and I'm going to make him into a great nation, which means you're going to have to be free, and then I'm going to make you into a great nation. And watch this, watch what happens. Verse 13. So Hagar bore Abram a son, and Abram named his son, who Hagar bore Ishmael. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to Abraham. God promised a son, and she had that son. She, he promised that his name would be Ishmael. And Abram, sure enough, named him Ishmael. But he also promised that they'd be free and they'd turn into a great nation. We'll skip a few chapters in Genesis. And God orchestrates a situation in which Hagar and Ishmael, now a young boy, get to go free. But then fast forward almost to the end of Genesis. And we hear about a particular people named the Ishmaelites who actually help to sell Joseph into slavery bit of ironic justice there. Abraham and Sarai enslaved Hagar and Ishmael, and then Ish, the Ishmaelites helped to enslave Joseph later on in the future. Here's what we know, that everything that God promised Hagar, it came to pass. God makes promises, but he always follows through on them that we can hold on to hope and to faith and stay true to him in the midst of our trials and situations because he is faithful. And do you need to build your faith today? Remind yourselves of the promises of God and you will remain firmly planted in the midst of your struggles and your trials. 
Because Jesus promised, I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. Jesus promised that he is kind to the brokenhearted. Jesus promised that his spirit is working in you right now to shape you into the glory and the image of God. He promised that we are going from glory to glory to glory to glory. Jesus promised that in Christ I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Jesus promised that greater is he that is in me than he who is in the world. When you feel like your back is against the wall, remind yourselves of the promises of God and that he's never missed one yet, but he's always followed through. He is faithful today. But if God is faithful, how are we to respond? He shows us. God is faithful to us, but he wants us to be faithful and obedient to him. Because this is what he told Hagar as soon as he showed up. Verse 9, the angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit yourself under her hand. God goes on to promise all of these amazing blessings that he's going to show up, that he's going to come through, he's going to deliver, it's going to be amazing. But first, he demands faith and obedience. He says, Hagar, if you want to receive these blessings, go back to your master. Go back to the woman who is angry at you. Go back to the woman that you felt you had to run away as your only option. Go back to the woman that you did wrong to. Go back to the woman that wants to take your child. Go back to the woman who will make you a slave again. In the face of the circumstances, this is dangerous for Hagar. God demands faith and obedience. And you know what Hagar did? She went marching on trusting God the whole time that no matter how long it'll take no matter how much longer I've got to go be in slavery again no matter what the risk is I'm staying faithful to God because I know he's going to be faithful to me so I want to encourage you today stay faithful to God he's going to be faithful to you and do every single thing you can to build your faith. And it's simple stuff. Read the Bible. I know you're tired of us saying that, but read and pray. This book is all about the faithfulness of God, of God following through on promise after promise after promise. Pray. Pray is a humble dependence on God that says, I can't get through this day unless you assist me. Get to church. Everything about church is centered on the faithfulness of God. We sing songs about the faithfulness of God. We preach sermons about the faithfulness of God. We bring tithes and offerings trusting in the faithfulness of God. Four times a year we take communion, remembering the faithfulness of God on the cross who paid for your sins. Get in a life group and surround yourselves with people that are not going to drag you down, but are going to bring you up. 
I mean, get people in your life that the first Sunday you even think about walking out on Jesus, they are knocking on your door and dragging you to church. Get those people in your life. People in your corner that when you're ready to give up, pick you up again and say, keep on going. He's faithful. Do every single thing you can to build your faith. And I can't give you a timeline. For Hagar, it was something like 12 years before she got set free. Abram and Sarah had to wait something like 20 to 30 years before they saw Isaac. It may not happen when you want it or the way you want it, but he is faithful. Thanks for listening. Be sure to join us Sunday mornings. Our service times are 9 o'clock and 1045. For more information, please visit us at highpraises.org.